I'm Awood. Jesus has called us to help others take hold a new life with Him. He's given us the gifts to do it. I'm Coach Jake, and the Maywood Listen Podcast is all about equipping you to carry out that mission. So last night I was in a small group meeting, and we were meeting on my back porch, and one of the folks in the meeting was talking about they had slept through this responsibility they had, and when they woke up and realized they'd slept through it, they realized, like, wow, I must be really tired, and they just decided to t- to to take the rest of the day easy and to catch up on rest. And when I heard that, you may have different opinions about it as you hear it, but when I heard it, I realized, like, oh, like, I'm not like that. Like, if I mess up something because uh, there wasn't enough of me to go around, I try to just, like, double down and try harder, uh, you know, so I would have been running around trying to make it up to everybody that I missed or something, and and I realized there was some wisdom for me, at least, in that moment of like admitting that you need uh, a break or a rest. Uh, and so, to why does that matter? Well, today with the podcast, you know, I've been working on several different things going on today, and I realized I got to get the podcast done. Um, but honestly, I, I was kind of pulling, f- and I didn't really have anything there that I felt like was, you know, it was stretching to try to to make a podcast out of the different little things I was looking up. And so uh, what I wound up stumbling upon was that I'm going to talk to you guys about today, or, or at least you guys are going to hear about today, uh, is back in, I don't know exactly when this was, 2015 maybe, uh, I was trying experimenting with something new with flight training, this leadership program that I lead each year. And that year I put together a ton of podcast material. And one of the material I put together was a weekly thing on a skill that I was trying to help the podcast leaders develop. And one of those, anyways, in the end, th- that whole system that I built that and back then, several years ago, it didn't w- work very well, and a lot of those episodes got put to the shelf, and they've not ever been heard you know, for five years. They were only heard by a few people when I first put them out. Um, but I stumbled into them today, and I thought, you know what? I, I honestly I don't have the most creative thing to give you guys today, but sometimes uh, it's okay to just say, like, I don't have it today, but I'm going to almost cheat. I mean, it's not really cheating, but to say, here is something if you're looking to develop in some way today. Uh, and it's it's a real in-depth dive into Jake's thoughts from about five years ago on how do you develop analogies. I have people come up to me and say, like, oh, Jake, you're always coming up with analogies or good ways to explain things. And analogies can be really powerful tools to teach other people and to even change other people by putting something inside of them that they think on over and over, um, or even just helping them understand something they didn't understand before. And so uh, for for flight training that year, they had one episode a week of these four episodes that are about 10 minutes to 15 minutes long a piece. What I'm going to do for you today is I'm going to mash all those together, and you'll hear the little flight training introduction in between each one. Uh, Feel free to pause. Feel free to be like, uh, you know, I've, I've heard enough and, and you can walk away. But I thought for some of you out there, you may be interested in this. It is uh, it is a real deep dive into what are analogies and a way to teach people. And even if you don't think of yourself as a teacher, maybe explore it. You know, it'll probably be about an hour-long podcast. Maybe explore it and just say like, hmm, can I start using analogies with other people? So that's what I want to invite you into today. So without further ado, here's Jake from, like I said, about five years ago, and there's going to be four episodes, uh, but they're going to all be mashed together in this one episode. So uh, I, I love you, Maywood, and uh, if you want a more traditional ma- podcast from Maywood, listen, last week's episode on Donna, if you missed it, was spectacular, and Donna is doing some really good things. Um so definitely listen to that if you haven't. But if you're around today and you got some time and you want to deep dive into analogies, here it is. So thank you guys and God bless you. Hi, this is Jake and you're listening to the Flight Training Podcast. Hey guys, excited for another podcast and this is one of our skill episodes. So skill episode every week we're going to be bringing you something that helps you achieve more as a leader and each month we have a theme for our skills. So this month we're going to be talking about analogies. So it's kind of a specific topic. Uh, it's a skill that comes naturally to a lot of folks but I do believe we can all learn something on this and an analogy just simply put is building a logical connection between two things to change someone's perspective or to enlighten them. 
So it can be, you know, most typically it's used to take one complex idea and you compare it to a simple idea or a well-known idea, and that allows people to understand it. But there's a lot of nuances there as well. Um, sometimes you can take something that people already believe in, like let's say someone has a really, you know, committed sense of loyalty and they love their family and they'll stick up for their family no matter what. And then if you make an analogy or an analogy to, you know, baseball and a home team and how we should treat the Royals like family uh, because they are our family somehow or something. So then you can draw on that loyalty that they already believe in and connect it to another area. So obviously like anything else with persuasion, uh, analogies can be used for good or for evil, but I want to teach you kind of the basic skills this month, and today specifically we're just going to be wrapping our heads around what are analogies, and then at the end of the podcast I'm going to give you a little challenge uh, if you want to try it out on your own. So um, the power for analogies comes really a couple, a few different things that they have going for them. So if you're going to be talking with people, why would you use an analogy? Well, the first reason is they carry a lot of punch in a short span of words. So you can explain a very, very big concept and help it click with people, and you don't have to bore them with a long explanation. Instead, uh, you can give them a short analogy, and it can condense and compact that understanding or that even that message that you're wanting to carry. So uh, you only have people's attention spans for so long, and so an analogy helps you as kind of a shortcut uh, to get something across to people without boring them, to get something across in a more powerful way because it's condensed. Also, analogies are easier to remember. You could explain something for 10 minutes, but if you use a good analogy, you can do it in 30 seconds, and it also sticks with people. Just like stories stick with people, analogies, uh, it's somewhat the same thing. Like People will, will mull them over in their mind throughout the day, and they'll remember, oh yeah, uh, this is like that. And... Finally, it's you can bring a new way of understanding to people, a new way to see the world, and that can be the foundation for a whole new way of living. So an analogy of walking a mile in someone else's shoes, you know, it's a really simple idea, but um, but it still carries this huge weight of you help people understand, oh, living someone else's life would give me a totally different perspective. I should have more empathy and patience. I should try to understand people, but it all gets carried this idea of walk a mile in someone else's shoes um, because we've had the the instance of our feet are not the same size as someone else's feet and our shoes aren't the same. So it's a real simple concept, but it carries with it a worldview. And that's a lot of times the foundation. If you want to change somebody, change the way they see the world and that will have a huge impact on them. So I want to give you guys an example of a strong analogy. Now, it's from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and this analogy is coming from the 1930s or 40s. Uh, it was originally said during World War II, I believe. So uh, C.S. Lewis had been asked to explain Christianity on a set of Radio Row talks, and that's where the book Mere Christianity comes from. But part of what he was talking in this analogy is he was trying to describe us as humans and the way we decide what to do. We have these impulses, you know, we've got a drive, a hunger drive to eat. We've got um, things like motherly love, where we want to take care of our kids. Uh, we've got things like a sex drive. We've got things like a, a drive to loyalty, an impulse for loyalty of I'm going to take care of my family or I'm going to take care of my team or maybe even I'm going to take care of patriotism and take care of my country. So there's all these different impulses and are some bad or some good? That was kind of the, the thing that C.S. Lewis is trying to answer. So I'm going to read this whole quote. It's a little bit long. If you want to read it in our show notes, uh, you can always look at that and you can find the show notes just at uh, flighttrainingpodcast.wordpress.com. And Anyways, here's the quote from C.S. Lewis. Stick with it. I'll explain it because the language he uses is a little uh, not modern-day American, at least. So he says, there is, there is none of our impulses which the moral law may not sometimes tell us to suppress, and none which it might not sometimes tell us to encourage. It is a m mistake to think that some of our impulses, say mother love or patriotism, are good, and others, like sex or the fighting instinct, are bad. All we mean is that the occasions on which the fighting instinct or the sexual desire uh, need to be restrained 
are rather more frequent than those from restraining motherly love or patriotism. But there are situations in which it is the duty of a married man to encourage his sexual impulse, and of a soldier to encourage the fighting instinct. There are also occasions of which a mother's love for her own children or a man's love for his own country have to be suppressed, or they will lead to unfairness towards other people's children or countries. Strictly speaking, there are no such things as good and bad impulses. Think once again of a piano. It doesn't have two kinds of notes on it, the right notes and the wrong ones. Every single note is right at one time and wrong at another. The moral law is not any one instinct or set of instincts. It is something which makes a kind of tune, the tune we call goodness or right conduct, by directing the instincts. Now, that's a very long quote. Let me put it, boil it down to kind of modern day terminology. So what he's saying is there isn't, when we think about what's ultimately right or wrong, we can't just look at our own instincts because sometimes there's some like, oh, sexual instinct or the, the desire to fight uh, that we think, oh, that's, that's bad. That's a bad instinct. Or this idea of a mother wanting to take care of her kids, that's, that's good. Or patriotism, that's good. But the reality is every instinct, he's saying, is good at some moments and bad at some moments. We need to encourage them to be stronger at times. And other times we need to suppress them or say that's the wrong thing to do right now. So that's a complicated idea, but it's an important one that C.S. Lewis is getting at here. He's saying that you can't just trust what feels right in your own gut, because sometimes that'll lead you wrong. And we've all seen this example of somebody who really, really loves their kids, um, but they they love them in such a way that uh, the kid gets in trouble at school, and it's all the teacher's fault, and it's everyone else's fault, and my kid would never do anything wrong. And their motherly love is actually inspiring them to be blind to the truth, and it's inspiring them to do something that actually in the long run is going to hurt their kid. Or someone can have a great patriotism, and it's great to sacrifice for your country, but we can all imagine situations where if you just love America blindly, you could wind up hurting other people from other countries in an unjust or ungodly way. So, and then, like he talks about, sometimes within a marriage, a sexual instinct might need to be encouraged. Or sometimes, in, in a moment specifically, the fighting instinct, this desire to stand up for somebody, might need to happen. Things might have to get aggressive. So uh, I like his analogy, though. So he's got this very broad concept. It's complicated to think through. What does he compare it to, though? He compares it to the keys on a piano. And so he says the different keys on the piano, there's not right or wrong keys. It's not like you can say, oh, the black keys on the piano are all wrong, and the white ones are all right. And as long as you just play the white ones, you'll, you'll be good. Obviously, any of us that have even just seen someone play the piano, we know that all the keys are there for a purpose, and there's a right time to play them and a wrong time to play them. And if you want to be good, it's more about the tune you play with the keys. It's not necessarily which keys you use. It's the idea of how do you combine them together and the timing that you use them. And what he's saying is you're going to feel different emotions all through your life. You're going to feel a desire to do different things. None of those desires are all wrong or all right. You can't always listen to them or always ignore them. Instead, like a person playing a piano, you got to learn how to play God's melody. you got to learn how to play the tune of goodness to know when do I need to encourage that desire and when do I need to suppress it. And so even though it's a really complicated idea, the analogy with the piano in just a couple sentences, it really gets across this idea of like, huh, now I understand a very deep theological point that my own desires that are like keys on a piano. And I to play my life right, I need to follow God's tune. I don't just need to suppress some of the keys and never play them. And I don't need to always listen to a certain key. And a lot of people don't get this as they go through life. They follow their motherly instinct or they follow their patriotism blindly. And it leads to a lot of moral mishaps. So I think C.S. Lewis gives us a great example there. Here's what I want you guys to do uh, today. I've got a little challenge for you. The first part of the challenge is only going to take five minutes, and the other part of the challenge, just you can do it as you do other things. And I'm not going to come knock on your door and check on you and see if you did this, but if you want to grow in doing analogies, you just simply need to practice doing them. So I want you to try it yourself. Uh, Sunday school a couple weeks ago, it was the main idea was Jesus sets people free. And so in the next five minutes, you can put a timer on if you want, but do this quickly. You don't have to do it good. The point isn't to do it really amazingly. It's to do it quickly. Come up with five analogies about how Jesus sets people free 
and I'm going to give you a limitation here just to use things you can see. So for instance, if you're driving in a car, you might say, um, you know, I drove by a tree uh, that had green leaves on it. And you think to yourself, you know, that tree has a new life because it's springtime. And you think Jesus sets people free because he makes new life come out where we didn't expect it. Or uh, you're driving and you think uh, your car smells a lot better than maybe you expected. And you think uh, Jesus sets people free. I didn't expect him to set free. Or, and again, these can be terrible analogies, um, but you just stick with them. And so in the next five minutes, make five analogies. And then I want you to pick one, pick your favorite. And as you do that, pick your favorite. It might not even be very good, but the best of the five. And the rest of the day, think over that analogy. How could you make it better? And if you had to tell somebody who was brand new to Maywood this week, how does Jesus set people free? How would you use that analogy? Something from your car, something from the room you're in right now. How could you use that analogy to explain how Jesus sets people free? And again, this is an exercise where you're going to grow and get stronger. So thank you for listening uh, to this week's skill episode. And coming up next is uh, our question episode. Have a great day. Hi, this is Jake, and you're listening to the Flight Training Podcast. About a month ago, I was at um, a seed store, and I was blind buying seeds for my garden and getting ready to plant things maybe a little more than a month ago. And I came across uh, mustard spinach, which never even heard of before. I mean, I, I like mustard, I like spinach, um, but never even thought that those two things would be put together in the same sentence or the same package. So when I saw this on the shelf, mustard spinach, my first thought was, what does that taste like? And then I, I realized it was only a dollar, and I thought, well, I'm going to find out. So I bought mustard spinach, put it in my garden, and uh, it was one of the first things to sprout up uh, this year. And uh, my in-laws were in town over Mother's Day, and I pulled some of that spinach uh, up, pulled some of the leaves off of it, and gave it to my wife and my mother-in-law and, and, and me. We ate a little bit of it, and she was amazed by it. She was shocked at how great it tasted. And it doesn't really taste anything like mustard. I don't know why they gave it that name, but uh, mustard spinach is pretty good. And spinach is pretty easy to grow, at least it seems like it is so far to me. So um, you might be like, Jake, why do I care about your spinach growing in your backyard? Um, but I told you that today. Uh, strangely enough, I told you this analogy to help us get started talking about analogies in this uh, week's skill episode. So the spinach uh, growing, I think, very much is a good kind of analogy for this idea of how do you grow powerful analogies. Uh, you know, an analogy is you gotta, you got to have an understanding of something complex and then use that understanding to compare it to simple, something simple that's not so easy to do. And when I was in the store uh, with the mustard, I could have said mustard spinach, what the heck is that? And then pulled out my phone and looked on Wikipedia and gotten somebody else's take on what mustard spinach tastes like. But you know, that would not have been the same as taking it home, digging a hole in my own backyard, uh, putting the seeds down, watering it, paying attention to it as it grew, and then deciding now's the moment. I'm going to find out what this tastes like with uh, some of my family. So uh, powerful analogies are that same way, just like the spinach. They grow out of curiosity, uh, space, and nurture. Okay, so... Uh, things that I think one of the things that makes plants and really living things in general awesome is uh, they don't just happen instantly. You can't just Google search and have a vegetable plant growing instantly. And so you have to plant something and let it have time and space and nutrients and grow. And so something vibrant comes out of that. When you're thinking about an analogy, you can't always just sit down and you got, you know, you've given yourself an hour to write a Sunday school lesson. You can't always just come up with a great analogy. And sometimes you can come up with one quickly, but um, the best ones, I think, come over time. They grow almost like a plant in your garden would grow. You make space for it, you take care of it, um, and then it grows. And so I'm going to talk through just kind of four things today you can be doing to try to grow analogies yourself. And as I talk through these things, you don't necessarily have to do them all, but be thinking about what's one that I want to try out? What's one that I want to experiment with? So first one I would say uh, is 
if you really want to be coming up with analogies yourself, come up with powerful comparisons that can really impact people, first thing you should do is to stay curious as you're thinking about stuff. You know, think about things a little deeper than you normally do. A lot of times, uh, as we go through our day, we just stay on the surface level of everything. We get tasks done, we do stuff, we have conversations with people, and maybe we don't spend much time really paying attention to people's nonverbals or really caring about how other people feel or really thinking about maybe like, why are we doing this? Or even thinking about like, what's the grander scheme of what's happening? So if you think more deeply though and you stay curious, you'll be a lot more creative. You see this in kids. You know, kids are incredibly creative. Why are they so creative? Well, one of the strengths they have is they're much more curious than adults. They ask a lot of questions. And not sometimes they won't just stop at one question. It's, why does this happen? Well, why is that? Well, why is that? And sometimes it can be hard if you're the adult trying to answer all those why questions. But the reality is that curiosity is a real strength. And if you want to be more creative, and if you want to come away with these awesome little treasures that you can hand off to someone, uh, you're going to have to stay curious. Because a lot of times when you give an analogy in a lesson, what you're doing is taking a lot of time that you spent thinking, and you've kind of wrapped it up in a pretty package so you can hand it off to other people. So your analogy is you've condensed a lot of your hard work into a small package for other people. Um, and I say hard work, but really just like with the spinach, it's great if you have this attitude of, ooh, I'm curious about this. I want to know more. Kind of a playfulness is going to be the most rewarding. So think about things on a deep level. When you get one answer, keep digging. You know, When you think about, okay, Jesus... In the end of John, in the you know end of the last chapter in the Gospel of John, he uh, I was just reading this morning he he does this miraculous catch of fish with his disciples and they record that you know there's 153 fish there and there's all this stuff going on in that scene, but there's a lot of questions you could ask and most of us will read that story and at most we look for one thing we look for like a what can I do about what I read or what's the meaning of this. A lot of times we don't just keep digging and just stay curious about like why did they record 153 fish or why did Jesus show up in this way? Why when Peter recognized him did he swim and the other guys took the boat and and, uh, you know Jesus already had coals cooking and he cooked bread and fish it talks about already. Why did Jesus choose to pick those things and I wonder if the resurrected Jesus was going around fishing in the morning all by himself, and where did he get the bread? And I mean, all sorts of questions can come up. And again, if you've only got an hour to write a Sunday school lesson, maybe you can't chase all those rabbit trails. But if you start training yourself to stay more curious, not just when you're reading the Bible, but even when you're talking to people, or when you're experiencing things in life, then that's fertile soil for analogies to start to grow up. We start to see connections you didn't see before. So that first one is real positive. Be, be playful, be curious, ask good questions. Next one isn't so fun to go through, but I think is really important for creativity on a grand scale, but it works with analogies. And that is to have time alone or even to have loneliness or separatedness. So uh, if I can pull out a random story from a science fiction book, I think it was made into a movie. It was made into a movie as well. Uh, Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. At the beginning of the book, towards the beginning of the book, you've got this crazy scenario where these horrible aliens are going to destroy the world, and the army's solution is to try to find the smartest person on the planet, like the best strategist, and try to get that person ready to kind of guide Earth's space armies to fight the aliens. I mean, it's a goofy story, but the story follows this coach character, kind of, or this military guy, uh, trying to develop these very smart adolescents uh, and trying to raise them up to be these awesome leaders. And for kind of the cream of the crop, the guy that they see has the most potential is this guy named Ender. The very first thing that that coach character does is he's got all the cadets together in a room. They're about to travel somewhere. And that coach character goes on and on about how great Ender is in such a way as to make all the other teenagers like resent Ender. and Like he looks like a teacher's pet, even though he didn't do anything. And later on, you're like, why did that coach character do that? Like that makes Ender get bullied and not have any friends. And why would he do that? 
And the, the coach character later explains like he was trying to isolate Ender. It was kind of cruel. He's trying to make it to where he didn't have friends and where he was lonely because he knew that he needed Ender to be very creative and that if he just let him be with the rest of the group in a click, like they would kind of have all the same thoughts and they wouldn't be as creative. Now that's kind of a, an out there concept and I don't want to waste too much time trying to dig out all the truths from that but the reality is I've seen in my life is if you get a group of adults together and you try to brainstorm something sometimes a group of people do see things from different angles and they do become more creative but a lot of times what happens is if you got 10 people in a room they all start talking and there's kind of this group think dynamic that happens where people actually get less creative and you get kind of safer answers and you wind up doing a lot of the same stuff that you are already doing um, but I think some people who are kind of out on the fringe or spend some time alone, like they can come away with things that are very different, very unique. And if you, you don't necessarily have to be alone for years of your life or something, but times in your life where you feel very lonely can actually be times where you gain a different perspective than the other people around you. And it can be, a, then you can come back to those other people and have something important to share. So disciplines we've already talked about, like solitude, uh, or meditation, like they help you to get alone with God so you can have those new thoughts, have those creative thoughts. And there's lots of things that God can do to us when we're alone with Him. Um, but you see the same example. A lot of people in the Bible, they have significant periods of, of solitude before they become a leader. Jesus had the 40 days in the wilderness. Moses had 40 years as a shepherd. There's lots of examples of that throughout the Bible. So Sometimes we view loneliness of like, oh, this is so horrible. Why would God let me do this? But I actually think that times where we feel really alone, there's actually an opportunity there for us to become more creative, for us to see things in a way that other people don't see it. Because sometimes when we're really close to a group of people, we actually wind up kind of seeing everything the same way they see it. So hopefully that makes sense. Whether you need to feel lonely or not, definitely getting some space to yourself is important. If you're going to let these analogies grow in you, if you're going to be able to have space to think on a deep level. Um, a third of our four, I'll hit pretty quickly, is just to follow your different trains of thought. Um, so when you're thinking about something and you're like, oh man, I really want to come up with a good analogy about um, to help show people like they need to be more humble and think about themselves less or something like that. Um, when you're trying to force that analogy to come, it can be hard. But instead, if you're experiencing something, whether you're reading something or you're out having experience, if you let your mind kind of go different directions, but then keep bringing it back to humbleness. So maybe throughout the day, you could set an alarm on your phone that just says humbleness, or uh, you maybe write something on your hand like humbleness. But then, so you bring your brain back to it, but then you let your brain wander. And when you're doing that, uh, you're allowing that space for your brain to make new connections that could help with an analogy. And uh, this can happen no matter what way you're reflecting, but the easiest way for it to happen is when you're reading a book, it happens very naturally. If you're actually reading a physical book, you can read something, and when you read a paragraph that really jumps off the page or a statement that's really awesome, you can pause, look up from the book, think about it for a little while, and then go back to the book and keep reading. It's a little bit harder to pause a podcast or pause a TV show. Uh, I mean, we could, but it, it just doesn't happen as naturally. But the nice thing about when you do that with reading is you still have the book in your hand. So it kind of anchors your mind that you don't just thought thinking about one thing and one thing and one thing and one thing, and finally you just wind up doing laundry because you realize you forgot it. It's good if you think about a few different things, and then you've got that anchor to bring your mind back to, oh yeah, this is the main topic. And so with analogies can grow that same way. If you give yourself space to be thinking about different stuff, let your brain wander a little bit, but then pull it back to what is the main idea. Uh, final thing that you can do to grow analogies is to be reflective. Kind of fits with a lot of what we're already talking about, but think about what a reflection literally is. So you can reflect light and shine light on a new surface. You know, if you had a mirror, you could bounce light from one spot to, you know, a dark shadow and, and light that part of the room up or something. Also, when you look in a mirror, you're looking at a reflection, it gives you a different perspective. Even though you're your eyes 
yeah, you, I mean, I don't know how to explain that without the visuals, but you, obviously you see your face, uh, you know, it flips around your perspective to where you can see what's behind you or see what's what you can't normally see. And so when you reflect on something, it's about seeing something from a different spot or seeing it from a different angle, seeing it at a different spot or from a different angle. So a lot of times we will read stuff and we just read it the same way, or we hear stuff and we just hear it the same way. Can gain a lot if you start trying to think about what would it be like if I were reading this and um, I wasn't an American or I wasn't this or that thing. You kind of brainstorm how could you look at it differently. Um, and a lot of times we go through different life experiences and you'll read stuff differently. I know when I was a single person, I read stuff differently than now that I'm married, I read some things differently than I used to because it's a shift of your focus of where I'm at in life. But you don't have to wait for big life events to happen. You can shift your focus and say, huh, what would it be like to look at this from a new perspective? And that's one of the great things that does come out of small groups or talking to other people is they can show you a little bit of how they see a biblical text or how they see an experience. And you can start to train yourself to see in new eyes. So um, again, powerful analogies are going to grow out of curiosity, space, and nurturing those ideas. We're going to talk about how to how to get specific sources of inspiration for your analogies. We'll be talking about that next week, but um, I wanted you guys to be thinking about what's one thing you can do to kind of let an analogy grow in your life this week. So, you know, I planted that mustard spinach because I was curious, and but then I had to put it in the garden and water it and wait. And maybe there's something you're curious about right now. And how could you stay curious? How could you ask more questions about it than you normally do? Or how could you get some time alone from other people or their thoughts or their opinions? And just have time alone to really dwell on it or think on it. Or how could you give yourself space to follow a lot of random trains of thoughts while anchoring it? Or how could you reflect on it from a new person's perspective? So lots of different thoughts today, but continue to try to develop analogies and test them out. Come up with an analogy, tell them to your kids or tell them to your spouse or tell them to your neighbor or tell them to a person in one of your small groups or something like that. You know, tell them to somebody else and try to grow as a person who gives analogies. Hi, this is Jake, and you're listening to the Flight Training Podcast. We're back uh, this morning with our skill episode for this week. So we're talking about how do you make analogies this whole month. That's our skill. And as we talk over that, I want to just hopefully make this podcast a little shorter uh, than yesterday's. went a little out of control with that story yesterday. So I just want to take you through some really quick uh, ideas and principles for how do you get inspired to come up with analogies. Okay, where do you, where do you, what are your sources of inspiration with that? So I want to take you through yesterday um, when I basically made a few analogies and talk you through that. So on the bike ride into work, I was thinking about yesterday's podcast and I'd already made some notes, kind of given it time to simmer in my mind about what I wanted to talk about. And one of the big principles that was coming through was when you read a book of the Bible every day for a month, you have this horrible dry period in the middle. And I thought, I really, that's a that's a key piece of what I need to tell them is you're going to have to go through that dryness to get to the other side, to get to something great. And so that is going through my mind uh, when I wrote the notes a few days ago. Well, then on the bike ride, I've got all this time as I'm riding into uh, to church. I've got about 20 or 30 minutes. And that story idea starts to come to me of uh, crossing over a sandy area. And as I'm riding the bike, it just kind of grows and grows and grows. And then I get to the church and got a shower here at the church. I'm still thinking over it and I'm just adding details to it. And so uh, I had all these details come through for that story. And whether it was the best story or not, uh, it was an example of basically kind of an analogy at least it's a little bit of a stretch to call an analogy because it was so complex itself but hopefully taking uh, an idea that was hard to understand and making it understandable through that story this idea that uh, if you read the same thing every day for a month you're going to have a, a experience where you get some of the same old good stuff for the first week or so uh, just like um, 
Patricia uh, going through the woods, and then you're going to have this horrible dry period like her going through uh, the sand dunes, and then you're going to get to the other side to this light uh, that can last for a really, really long time, like her finding this treasure of kerosene. So it's pretty random. It wasn't perfect, honestly. Uh, if I told the story again, hopefully I'd make it a little better even. I try to do that each time I tell a story, just like that quote from George McDonald that I read uh, in an earlier podcast. But uh, then later on in the day, uh, during my lunch break yesterday, I decided, you know, instead of working on stuff during my break, I've got some time here at the office, but I'm just going to read a book. Uh, and it was a good book. It's uh, The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. And so uh, anyway, as I'm reading it, I came across this quote from G.K. Chesterton about uh, God adding or how courageous God is. And as this great quote, I, I won't get into the details of it, I guess. Uh, anyways, it's, it's a good quote about courage. And so kind of in my mind thought, I got to come back to that. So after my lunch break, I went back to that quote and started thinking about how it reminded me of Jesus at the end of Revelation when he's condemning a huge group of people to hell. Uh, the first qualifier he uses for why they're going to hell is that they're cowards or that they're cowardly. Uh, encourages this definite theme in Christianity of one of the virtues, but it's one we don't talk about a lot. So I wrote down, uh, I've got this little file on my computer, Brainstorm for Sermons. And so I went to that and I just wrote the quote uh, from G.K. Chesterton. And then I wrote, you know, Revelations, uh, when Jesus sends cowardly to hell. That's all I wrote. It's just a sermon on courage. Uh, and I'll have to grow from there. But I kind of set that seed uh, aside to where I wouldn't forget it. Also, while I was eating lunch, I got a call from my wife from Chrissy, and she was talking about uh, these sunglasses she was going to buy with, like, these prescription sunglasses, and they were a little expensive, not crazy, but the guy on the phone, or the guy at the store wanted her to buy insurance on the glasses. Like, if you pay $25 now, then if you lose the glasses or they get stolen, uh, we'll replace them for half cost, which... If you do the math, like it's, she's only she's paying twenty five dollars for the chance to maybe save like seventy five or something. Um, not the world's best deal by any means. So, uh, but it reminded me that conversation with her reminded me of a, a guy that used to live in my dorm in college uh, named Matt, who was incredible at math. Matt was a really really smart, really good at math in particular, and he wound up. I, I've lost touch with him, but I talked to him after he graduated, he wound up working as uh, an actuary for insurance. So what he does is using really complicated math, he figures out, you know, how much of a risk is there for somebody with all of these variables for having their house set on fire or for having their house have a flood or for hail damage or whatever. So he does all the math on it and then obviously rigs it up to where the insurance company is going to make a profit and he helps them set like what should insurance cost. Uh, And as he's doing that, it's always very, very accurate, but there's always this added in formula of got to make money for the insurance company. So, you know, I was talking to Chrissy about like anytime you can afford to replace uh, an item, you shouldn't buy insurance on it. Because someone really smart, like my, my old friend Matt, has sat down and done all the nerdy math, and he's figured out, uh, like, this is a good bet for the insurance company, which means it's a bad bet for you. Like, it's slanted in their favor. So, obviously, you need insurance on something like your house, that if, if your house burnt down, you you might just totally go bankrupt and be ruined. Um, but other than your house, I don't know that there's really that much... I mean, you have to have some insurance on your car legally, but uh, yeah, but other than giant items, you shouldn't have insurance if you can't afford to replace it. And if you can't afford to replace something small, like glasses or electronics or something like that, like maybe maybe you shouldn't be buying that item or that, that caliber or that item. Anyways, not to go, I'm going off the rails at random. All that's to say, that got me thinking also during lunch about a book by C.S. Lewis called... Uh, the screw tape letters where he kind of takes a, a fictional perspective obviously of of uh, a demon trying to tempt someone and the book has a lot of insights about how to stand up to temptation uh, how not to fall for satan's tricks basically and i thought you know that would be a good series uh, of sermons about like why i turned down insurance and then talk through like because i met matt and know how he does things for the insurance companies uh, it's given me a different perspective on insurance and and then take like each week of the series would be uh, a different way that satan kind of one of the tricks out of his bag and how um 
how we need to be aware of that so we can have a new approach uh, to life. So again, that was, I literally just wrote like two paragraphs in my little computer brainstorm, you know, my little document on my computer for brainstorming for sermons. And I have, that document's full of tons of little paragraphs and I just go back to it when I need an idea. Um, But when you're thinking about sources of inspiration, maybe writing notes down and, and putting them somewhere you can come back to, that's a great idea. But the bigger thing I want to show is, you know, when I'm really, really busy, I don't come up with sermon ideas. When I'm really, really busy and running from thing to thing and listening to, uh, you know, podcasts every free, you know, while I do stuff and multitasking all day long, I'm not very creative. I have to give myself some space like, okay, today during lunch, I'm just going to read a good book. And it's going to be pretty relaxed. And when Chrissy calls, I'm just going to talk to Chrissy. And when she, when I get off the phone with her, I'm not going to rush the next thing. I'm going to let my mind wander for a second about that interesting idea uh, that kind of caught my attention. So letting your mind be captivated by different things and giving yourself a, a bicycle ride or mowing your grass or washing your dishes without a whole lot of input, but just kind of pondering stuff. That's a lot of times how analogies really grow or anything creative can really grow in you. So as far as sources of inspiration, you know, anything you're reading in a book, something you're seeing in nature, uh, something that happened in, during a sporting event, even if you're just watching, even just a sign you see at a store, anything can be a source of inspiration for an analogy. But here's kind of the best, what analogies do is they combine a complex idea uh, with a simple idea or an easy to understand idea. So uh, like on the bike ride, I was thinking, okay, this is the thing I have to talk about that's complicated, but then I let my mind wander looking for combinations. And in that case, I came up with this big story. Um, But other times, sometimes you just see something happen and it instantly makes you realize like, oh, that's that thing. So there's a, a great power that comes when you combine different ideas together and it can get really, really creative, but it also can make things a lot simpler. So if you let yourself kind of ruminate or ponder uh, truths for a little while and then just be paying attention to the stuff around you. So I know this is not very specific, but my final takeaway for you guys is just to give yourself some space. Today, when you're doing something, you know, whether it's washing dishes or doing a chore or at work, try to have a period of, or, you know, maybe it's eating lunch. Try to have a period about 30 minutes where you're doing something pretty simple, like eating lunch or washing dishes, and you let your mind ponder some kind of deep truth, maybe, maybe your Sunday school lesson that's coming up, or maybe something you read in the Bible this morning. You're pondering that deep truth, but you're also letting your mind wander around a little bit and see if any connections happen. If you say, oh, you know, I was reading today in Philippians about not being anxious about the power of prayer and thanksgiving, and then while you're washing dishes, something happens, uh, and you realize like, oh, uh, this is the link there. And I honestly, I don't know what the link is between those two, but uh, give yourself some space to find those links. So today, simple application, just give yourself a half hour to kind of ponder, uh, to slow down a little bit and give your mind space uh, to really be at ease. Hi, this is Jake, and you're listening to the Flight Training Podcast. Hey guys, I'm excited to wrap up our skill episode for this month, or our final talk on, you know, what to do with analogies. And so this one's going to be fairly short uh, because we're just talking about what not to do. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I did want to point out just a few trouble spots you can get yourself in with analogies uh, and to try to avoid these as you're practicing getting better and better. Hopefully, over the course of the month, you start to think a little bit more about analogies and trying some of them out. And I want to just throw out there's a few ways that things can go wrong fast and so to try to avoid these three things. So the first one is if you compare two complex or unknown things to your audience. So the whole purpose of an analogy is to take something they don't understand and to explain it with something they do understand. So if you wind up telling them to about something they don't understand in order to explain something else they don't understand, then it doesn't do you any good, and they wind up that much more confused. They actually are worse off than if you didn't tell them the analogy. So, for instance, let's assume that you don't know anything uh, about uh, fixing up cars and assume that you don't know anything about um, mixing up concrete by hand. Uh, anyways, you may or may not know anything about that, but for instance, if I was talking to you about you know lowering uh, the resistance of the exhaust on your car, uh, 
is a little about is a little like making uh, soupy batches of mud. And so if you're like, well, I don't have any idea what you're talking about by <laughs> resistance of exhaust, or maybe you're like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about with soupy batches of mud. Well, you know, exhaust on a car, you know, normally it's good for the power of the car if you make that streamlined as possible. If you allow the exhaust fumes to flow out of the car as fast as possible, but there's actually, if you go too far, you can make it to where there's so little resistance for the exhaust to come out, there's so little back pressure that actually steals energy from the engine or from the motor uh, because it needs a little bit of pressure on that end just to hold everything into the chamber correctly. So some people trying to work on their cars, they get such an easy flowing exhaust, they actually go too far and it winds up hurting their power performance in their car. Same way when I was down in Mexico, we used to mix by hand uh, these batches of concrete that were really, really thin, no gravel in them at all, just some sand and cement and water and we'd use that to put a kind of a skim coat of concrete on to these walls and the soupier the mud is, is what we called it as mud the soupier it was the easier it was to apply the faster you could apply it and actually you could apply really smooth if it was soupy but if you added too much water, there was always this joke that water is easier to add than to take out of a mix. <laughs> because uh, if your batch gets too soupy, then you got to add more cement and more sand, and you wind up making this giant batch, and it can be a mess. Here's the thing. If you don't know anything about <laughs> working on exhausts, and you don't know anything about shoveling concrete, then those two analogies don't help you. If you understood one, then maybe it helps you understand this point that sometimes too much of a good thing is bad. Too much of a good thing can be bad. But when I say that, that's a pretty simple idea. But when I tell you two complex analogies, they actually don't help you understand it at all. So think about your audience. If you're talking to people that, you know, if I was talking to a group of people down in Mexico that were used to working on houses with me, then that soupy batches of mud thing would make total sense. Or if you're talking to guys who work on you know muscle cars, the stuff about the exhaust would probably make sense uh, to them. So again, think about your audience and make sure if you're trying to explain some of the analogy, make sure they understand the simple part of it. They're not supposed to understand the the complex thing you're you're explaining. They need to understand the simple side of it. Okay, so that's question part number one of our don'ts or we got three don'ts don't compare two complex things or two unknown things to your audience second one is don't be false or disingenuous on the simple side of your analogy I mean obviously it's, it's, it's a bad idea anytime you're speaking to a group or teaching group to be false or disingenuous about anything but you gotta make sure you really hit the details right on your simple analogy so what I'm talking about here is uh, if you're explaining something really really complicated and then you just kind of breeze over the simple side of your analogy if that doesn't ring 100% true to people then you'll lose them and they won't stick around long enough to pay attention to how that connects to the complicated thing so for instance if you're talking maybe you've got baseball cards in front of you and you're saying that they're really valuable and you're trying to use this as an analogy to talk about how valuable the gift of eternal life is or something I don't know I'm just making this stuff up but uh, if you're talking about how valuable these baseball cards are and I was a little kid listening to you and you pick up the baseball card and you hold it uh, with both your fingers like touching the either flat side of the card where your like thumb is on the actual baseball player's chest if you hold up a card like that and say this baseball card is so valuable and blah 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 for me as a little kid who used to collect baseball cards when I was in elementary school I would immediately be knocked out of paying attention to you because I know that really you shouldn't handle valuable baseball cards with your hands at all because your hands have oil you know and so I would put my most valuable cards in these little plastic protectors and anytime I picked up any card even if I was just opening a deck of cards and might be useless players anytime I was handling cards I would always grab the edges of the card I would touch the edges of the card and not put my fingers on the flat parts of the card because I didn't want to damage the card. Now, if you're not a baseball card collector like I was when I was, you know, eight years old, that doesn't really matter. And so maybe if you're thinking like, oh, these kids are really into baseball cards, so I'm going to talk to them about how Jesus is like baseball cards. Well, okay, that might work, but be very, very careful about telling an analogy where you don't actually relate to the thing you're talking about. You know, if, if you're, you know, a mom of a bunch of little boys who like baseball cards and you try to tell them like cleaning your room is like baseball cards and you try to talk to them about it if you don't actually like baseball cards they're gonna pick up on it if you don't actually get the simple side of the analogy people are gonna pick up on it that's the part they already understand so don't try to tell an analogy that you can't pull off 
Like, don't just think like, oh, this group is really into motorcycles, so I'm going to tell an analogy about motorcycles. Well, if you're going to do that, that's fine, but make sure you talk to somebody who actually knows about motorcycles and make sure, like, double-check your facts and say, like, this is what I'm going to say, this is how I'm going to say it. Does that ring true? Because it'll fall totally flat. Something as simple as grabbing the face of the baseball card just makes it fall flat for people because they're like, oh, you're telling me you're like me, but I can see right through it. And it's just a facade. You're just trying to give me a sales pitch. You're just trying to pull one over on me. So uh, people pick up on that really quick. So anytime you're telling an analogy, make sure it's a genuine one. Make sure it's something that's real that you actually care about. Don't be fake on your analogy just because you think people are going to like it. Okay, and that actually is probably a good tip for any time you're speaking in front of people. Like, don't be fake. Don't just think, like, oh, these kids are really into this thing, so I'm going to pretend to like it for two seconds so I can kind of trick them into, like, listening to me. Never works, okay? You need to actually be into the analogy you're talking about or at least check it with somebody who knows what they're talking about and at least talk it over. Um, Okay, third and final point. So we've talked about don't be too complex with your simple part of your analogy. We've talked about don't be false, don't be fake uh, on the simple side of things. Final one is don't be boring. Don't be confusing. The simple analogy should make sense, okay? And it shouldn't be boring. So again, earlier when I was telling those analogies about the exhaust and the soupy batches of mud, those were complex and neither one of them was very simple. And if you didn't already know what I was talking about, it was really confusing. And if you don't care about cars and you don't care about construction, it was probably also boring. So it wasn't a good analogy, okay? Earlier, I talked about perfection. In an earlier podcast, I was talking about Zach Grinke's perfect game, where he pitched a perfect game, and it kind of taught me something about uh, what real perfection is. It's active. It's doing things. Well, imagine, though, if when I was telling that story, I went into this big, long story about Zach Grinke's life. And Zach Grinke uh, had some strange things happen to him. He's a quirky guy. But imagine if I went on for 20 minutes about Zach Grinke's backstory, and then I told you about the perfect game. Honestly, unless you're really into Zach Grinke or you're really into pitching or baseball, you're probably going to get bored. And if my analogy is so detailed, it's confusing, or so detailed that it's boring, then it doesn't serve any point. The point of an analogy is to make your speech or make your sermon or make your lesson, make it clearer, make it make more sense, make it more entertaining, and make you more sympathetic with your audience. Make it to where the audience likes you more, they connect with you more, and they understand what you're saying, and they want to listen to you. And so if your analogy is doing the opposite of that, because you're comparing two complex unknown things, you know, you're talking about things that the audience knows nothing about, well then, it's already you've lost the clarity. Or if you're fake, then you've lost this connection with the audience. And they're like, I don't like this guy. He's fake. Or if you're boring with your analogy, they're like, okay, this is his like story that he's telling and it's bored me to tears. I'm definitely not going to listen about this other thing he's going to talk about. Okay. So when it comes to analogies, think to yourself, like, is my audience going to actually understand this analogy? Is it simple and clear? The thing I'm comparing to is this something that I can be genuine about, that I actually know about, that I actually, if I say I care about it, do I actually care about it? Um, and the final one, is this entertaining? Is it clear? Is it, or is it going to bore or confuse them? So pretty simple tips when you hear it this way, but I'll tell you, people who get excited about telling analogies, sometimes they just try to cram them in to stuff. And make sure you kind of check yourself with these ideas before you throw an analogy in uh, on, on a big lesson or something like that. So hopefully you guys have enjoyed listening to uh, my talks on analogies this month. And may that wraps up our skill episode for this month. We've got one more episode coming at you on our final question for May, and then we'll be into a new topics for June. So thank you guys. Have a good day.